Thank you for listening to this sermon from Renaissance Church located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please visit our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like to know more about how you can partner up to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. If you're new, I want to say welcome again. Um, we're glad to have you here. Uh, as we begin, I want to say today is my deep desire that the, the gospel would be loudly proclaimed, our hearts would genuinely praise our Lord, and that we would desperately see our need for a Savior, and that we would find our lives transformed by Jesus Christ. I hope you will, will join me in that today. I, I want to ask you guys a question, okay? Uh, it's time to, to dream a little bit. Uh, so what would you do if you won the lottery, right? What would you do if, let's say, you were walking along the street, you found, like, the winning lottery ticket um, on the ground? How would you use that money? Um, maybe, maybe that's a, a common dream. Um, I'm sure we've all probably, probably thought before, like, you know, if I just had a little bit more money, um, life would be a little bit easier, right? Um, I read this week a story about a man who won millions of dollars in the lottery. So I'm going to share a little bit about what happened to him. So this man's name is Bud, Bud Post. His mom gave him that name, I guess. Um, in Part of it, anyway. Uh, in, in 1988, he won $16.2 million in the Pennsylvania lottery. A lot of money. Um, however, very shortly after collecting his winnings, his life began to, to spiral downward. So that same year, he was sued for a third of his earnings from a former girlfriend of his. Uh, she ended up winning the case. Uh, his brother uh, later was arrested because he had hired a hitman to kill him in the hopes that he had put him in his will. Uh, yeah. Comes from a great family, I hear. Um, he, uh, he ended up investing money into his family business, which ended up tanking. And he ended up uh, getting in jail because he fired a gun over the head of a bill collector. Within a year of him winning the lottery, he was a million dollars in debt. Okay? He reportedly told the, the Washington Post, I was much happier when I was broke. Um, he lived a, a quiet life on uh, $450 a month and food stamps until he died in 2006. Uh, this, year, I, or, uh, this, this week I heard uh, that 70% of jackpot winners go broke in seven years. Um, how do you feel about winning the lottery now? Um, I share this story because today we're talking about what the Bible has to say about the rich and, and our attitudes, what our attitudes should be towards money. Um, we often think that money will solve our problems or at least put us in a better position. And yet what we're going to see uh, are many reasons why, as followers of Christ, we should not envy the rich. Uh, today we're continuing in our series called Faith in a Broken World. Uh, the series has taken us through the, the book of James. And what we've been exploring are practical ways to live as followers of Christ through the difficulties we face in this world. 
Um, that word faith uh, can often come with a lot of superficial baggage to it, right? We will say things like, just have a little bit of faith, or we put the word faith on a, a coffee cup in a, in a pretty font, right? Um, and yet, what we're seeing in this series is that faith is an incredibly difficult thing to do. Faith, faith goes against every fiber of our being, and yet God calls us to put our faith in Him in order to mature us spiritually. Um, what I want to do to begin is, is to read our text for today, uh, and then we'll get into our sermon. So today we're going to be in James chapter 5. James chapter 5 is where we're going to be. Uh, if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to follow along, or it will be on the screen. Um, and again, James chapter 5 is where we are going to be. We'll begin reading in verse 1. It says this, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. On that encouraging note, let's pray and we will get into our text. <laughs> um, God, we thank you for your word and what it teaches us. And um, we pray that we would, uh, you would open our hearts today and, and we would um, be encouraged because you are a good God and you love your church. Would we not be people who envy the rich, but we look to you to satisfy um, all of our desires. And uh, we ask that you would guide us today. Would you lead our hearts in, in, in worship towards you as we hear your word preached? We love you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, we're going to dive right into our, our passage for today. You may have noticed, uh, but our passage has a little bit of a strong tone, right? Um, I think that's fair to say. James takes quite a firm voice against the rich in these six verses. And that might be a little bit intimidating, but what I want us to do with our time together today is just to, to begin to ask questions of this text. Right? Throughout, throughout my studies uh, this week, I learned certain things of this text that may not be apparent from first glance. And, and so I believe that we would be well served by just taking some time to, to look at the text and, and ask some questions of it. So um, as we just read, James begins here by essentially tearing into these, these rich people. Right? The, the passage is a strong confrontation of the rich. But before we jump to, to conclusions about what the Bible has to say about rich people, uh, I want to begin by asking this question. Who were these rich people? Who were, who were the rich people here? Well, our text gives us a little bit of a clue as to who they were, right? Verse 4 says, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. So uh, we read from this text that these people, we, we can see from this text that these people owned land at least, right? Um, it's clear that they had, uh, it said that they were harvesters, so th these people owned crops. And so perhaps they were farmers. Um, and they had 
people that worked for them. It says the laborers who mowed your field. So essentially, these people were wealthy farmers. A commentator named Kent Hughes writes this. He says, specifically, James targets were wealthy farmers who owned large tracts of land and were squeezing everyone and everything for profit. Uh, now, why is that important? Why does it matter who this is written to? Uh, well, one reason why is that this section is not directed at the church, right? It is directed at those oppressing the church. And if you read this passage thinking it's aimed towards the church, you might think, man, like, why is he so mad at them, right? Uh, but a proper understanding of the audience helps us to see that this is actually a warning to those who are oppressing God's people. Uh, and as the church, that should give us a little bit of a relief here, right? The, the Bible has strong words for those who oppress God's people. God is a merciful defender of the church and not an angry master. Another question to ask then is why James writes this in a letter to the church, right? If, if this is not directed to the church, then why would he write it to the church? Well, um, if we look at other places in the book of James, we see that while uh, the, these people, these rich people may not have been believers, uh, they may have actually been in the church. James 2 would be a good place to look for this. So if you remember in James 2, we read uh, this instruction, his instruction to the believers not to show partiality, right? He gives us an example of a rich man and a poor man both kind of coming into the gathering. And the church, what they were doing was that they were showing favor to the rich man. So despite them not being believers, it seems as though they may have been entering into the assembly of believers. Hence the instruction not to be partial towards them when they come into the assembly. Um, we're not sure exactly what would have drawn them into the church. Perhaps it was to gain influence. Perhaps it may be have been to oppress even more. Um, perhaps they were curious. For whatever reason, though, the, the gathering contained some rich unbelievers that would be hearing this message from James. And so before we may think that this is not meant for us as we are in the church, Let's take an honest look at our lives. There were people that were amongst the church that James wrote this to. He wrote this to people that did not love their ch the church by their actions, and yet they were still in the midst of the church. The, the, these people gathered with the same people that they oppressed. So it may be wise for us not to just assume the victim in this story. Um, before we, we think this warning is not for us, May we truly hear out what James is saying here. So we see that this passage is written to, to the rich in James' day. And with such a, a stern warning, I think it would be right for us to, to explore the question then, is it wrong to be rich? Uh, the Bible has, has a lot to say about money and wealth. Some of the most famous, famous passages in the Bible have to do with money. You might be familiar with such verses as Luke 16, 13, which says, You cannot serve God and money. First Timothy 6:10 says, For the love of money is the root of is a root of all kinds of evil. Matthew 19:24, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And similarly, our, our passage today contains quite a strong warning to the rich. 
Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Clearly, the Bible has some severe words for the rich. But is being rich wrong or sinful? Again, Kent Hughes makes makes note that some notable saints have been rich. Abraham, Job, David, Josiah, Philemon, Joseph of Arimathea, and Lydia, for example. All of these people are noted somewhere in the Bible for having some wealth of some sort. However, we never see that the Bible condemns them for their wealth. In addition, some of the strong passages we read about wealth don't condemn being rich per se, but the love of riches. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, not just money itself. And what we're seeing more from this passage is that the actions of the rich is the reason why James accuses them. Um, there's, There's an author, Douglas Moo, he writes, what can be said about the rich in this passage, however, is that they are condemned not simply for their wealth, they are condemned for their sinful use of their wealth. Applying this text to all wealthy people then would be misreading of the passage. So is it wrong to be rich? Maybe not, but maybe a better question we should ask is, is it wise to pursue wealth? I want us to explore that question a little bit later from our text. Well, what we see in this situation is that these people were not being criticized just because they were rich. So if then it is not wrong to be rich, another question that we should ask would be, what did these rich people do that gets James so riled up here? Right? What was wrong with what they did? And this question is answered plainly throughout the bulk of our text in James. Um, so one thing that we see is that the rich were storing up wealth for themselves. As James talks about their possessions, he, possessions, he talks uh, about the clothes and the jewelry that they were collecting. He says, all of this is going to fade. The, the moths are going to eat your clothes. Your jewelry will become corroded. None of these possessions will last. He says, you have laid up treasure in the last days. Later he says, you have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. So the rich are being condemned because they are hoarding things that will not last. They are self-indulgent. They spend money on themselves, make themselves wealthy, and they invest in material possessions that are temporary. There's a movie that came out a long time ago called Brewster's Millions. Anyone familiar with it? Oh my goodness. Okay, thank you for some people that. Yeah, if you're not, uh, I mean, if you're not, you might not be over 30, but that's okay. Um, but it has, uh, it's a movie, it's got the, the late John Candy and Richard Pryor in it. Man, you guys are missing a lot. Um, let me explain to you who don't know what it is, what it is about. Um, so the, the movie is a comedy, and it's about a man, uh, his name is, in the movie is Monty Brewster. And he finds out that he has this long-lost relative who is very wealthy. Monty's relative ha- has just passed away, and he's basically left him everything that he has, right? He's got, it's $300 million is what he leaves him. Uh, he th- he kind of leaves it to him. So in order for him to receive his inheritance, what he has to do is he's given $30 million and he has to spend it all in 30 days and not have anything left to show at the end of it, 
right? So he can't have any money left. He can't have any possessions left at the end of the 30 days. And then he's going to get this massive inheritance. And so the movie just kind of shows as, as he blows this huge sum of money on food, clothes, parties, and so on. And, and also at the end of the day, he would have nothing to show for. And at the end of our lives, I want to ask us this. What will we have to show for for the things that we've invested in? Maybe we're more like Monty Brewster or these rich people in James, investing in things that do not last. I think it would be wise to reflect about the things that we invest in. Um, a friend of ours gave us uh, this game. It has a bunch of conversation stars in it. I remember one of the questions was this. What would your credit card statement tell us about you? What would your credit card statement tell us about you? That's a good question to, to reflect on today. Mine would probably say that I care about a nice pastry and a coffee. And I pray at the end of, the, of my life it would say that I care more about the things that God cares about. How about you? How much time and money do we spend on things that won't last? Blowing our, our resources on things that will fade rather than things that are eternal. Matthew 6 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So James condemns the rich for hoarding up things that will not last. He also condemns the rich for defrauding their laborers, for, for stealing wages from their workers. Verse 4 says, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. In that day, wealthy landowners had a lot of power in the court system. Unfortunately, in that day, as sometimes it is now, court systems can be unjust. The, the wealthy can often drag poor people into court and have a better chance of winning on charges that may or may not be legitimate. And, and often with little resources to defend themselves in a corrupt system, the poor can be helpless against such tactics. And in James' era, a, a poor man who was sued would usually lose the little bit of money that he had left. This is likely what we, we see James referring to in chapter 2 when he says, Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? And so the rich, they were dragging these people into court. They were keeping wages back from those who worked for them. Perhaps we can learn something from this situation as well. For those who employ others, do you pay your workers an honest wage? Or do you penny pinch in order to save a buck or two? Who gets ahead in your business? Is it you or is it others? And maybe you don't employ anyone, but are you generous when others help you? Or do you use others or, and do what you can to get ahead? So James condemns the rich here for defrauding the poor. Finally, James charges these rich people with the sin of murder. Verse 6, it says... You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. But what's likely happening here is that because the rich were taking the poor to court for their money, uh, they were essentially leaving them to starve to death. 
Having taken, taken away all that these people had, their working wages, they were unable to provide for themselves and their families. And it's likely that it led to an actual death among the church. And so James tells the rich people that there is blood on their hands. They are guilty of murder. And he pronounces judgment that, that will come for them for their actions. So we see, as, as we look at this text, and we see severe warnings to the rich in James' day. Another question I think would be beneficial then would be this. What can we as Christians learn from this passage? If this is directed at those who oppress the church, then what can we learn from it as the church? And the first thing I want us to see is that we can learn from this from, as Christians from this passage is not to envy the rich. Do not envy the rich. How easy is it to become corrupted by wealth? If our heart is set on money rather than God, we will never be satisfied. We will become greedy and selfish, soaring up wealth for ourselves. Things that will not last. We will become self-indulgent rather than generous. We will put ourselves above others, maybe even to the point of death, be that physical or spiritual. And God will deal with that. So do not envy the rich, for there is a much greater reward to live for. Matthew tells us to store up treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy. How do we do that? By putting our faith in Jesus, by trusting in his ways, by not being absorbed by trying to get more and more out of this life, but by trusting God, the provider of all things. The, the, the Bible describes a much greater way to live with our finances. And I want us to, to look at a few verses that describe a biblical view of our finances. This may be familiar uh, for those who are, attend our, our members' gatherings. This is from Acts 2. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. It says this, And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distrib distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Luke 12 says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens. That does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And then in 1 Timothy 6, it says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. I love that last verse there. How many of us would describe wealth as the Bible does? The uncertainty of riches? We think that riches should give us more certainty. Yet, what is more sure is to store up treasure in heaven, to be rich in good works, Church, would we live to store up treasure in heaven? 
I praise God that I saw nearly half the church at the food bank yesterday being rich in good works. It gives rest to my soul when I see the church love the community because it shows that you have hearts like God does. It shows that your treasure is in heaven. Church, let us continue in good works, loving the things that God loves. Sell your possessions to care for the needy. That is not hyperbole. That is the heart of God. So what can we learn from this text, church? Do not envy the rich, but set your treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys. Finally, church, what can we learn from this text? We can learn to patiently bear with injustice. Patiently bear with injustice. That is a hard truth to hear. Oppression will come. There's not much promised in this life, and trials are one of them. So we should not be surprised when the church is oppressed, sometimes from people who are even in this building, unfortunately. But here's another promise that we have. God hears the cries of the oppressed. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your field, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. God hears the cries of the oppressed, and justice will come to the oppressor. It will come from a holy God who desperately loves his people, who cares for the lowly, those who are in need, the hurt and the afflicted, those who have been abused. And church, the abuser will not get away scot-free. Justice will come from a just God to those who will not repent of their sin because God loves his church. But to those who turn from their sin, God made a way to be reconciled to him. And that way is through Jesus. Jesus gave up all the riches in heaven to become poor on earth. He lived a humble life, not pursuing wealth, but pursuing the will of the Father. He was born in a poor town called Bethlehem to a poor virgin girl named Mary. He did not envy the rich, but pronounced woes to them. In his life, he did not pander to the rich, but ministered to those who were poor in spirit. Jesus was betrayed by a so-called friend for 30 pieces of silver, a man who stored up his treasure here on earth rather than in heaven. And like the church in the book of James, Jesus was dragged into court by the rich. At his death, they stripped him of everything he had. He was crucified, nailed to the cross, and the wrath of God was poured out on him for the sins of the world. He entered the world with nothing, and he left the world with nothing, except the love of the Father. Would that be our aim in this life as followers of Jesus? Because we have his spirit inside of us, empowering us to care for the things that God cares about. It leads us to turn from greed and from the love of money to storing up treasure in heaven, things that are eternal. So do not envy the rich, but satisfy yourself in the Lord. Patiently bear with injustice because God hears the cries of the oppressed. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. 
or reach out to us on social media. It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world.